welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time at uh, Coast Community Church Online, then welcome. We're so glad that you've joined in. This is our third message in a short series called Both and two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Kev, he brought us a message specifically around this strange environment that we're in right now with coronavirus, that it represents to us individually and us as a church, both crisis and opportunity. And then last week, uh, Andrew McGuinness, he spoke to us about our dual call to be both disciples and disciple makers. Now, both of those messages are available on the website and on YouTube. If you've not managed to see those as yet, then we invite you to, to look those up. The, the title of this week's message is both Abide and Go. So we're going to be talking about both the work of Christ within us and the work of Christ through us in the world. I had the absolute privilege uh, a number of years ago to work with an organisation called International Justice Mission, IJM, you might have heard of them. And IJM is actually the world's largest non-government anti-slavery organisation. They work uh, in partnership with local law enforcement to investigate crimes of violence and trafficking and, and slavery. To, to rescue victims and prosecute offenders and then also work, walk with survivors uh, of, of violence and trafficking and slavery along that long road to recovery. And the interesting thing is that IJM understands itself internally as a Christian community of spiritual formation. And I think that's really cool. They've learned, and I, and I suspect that they've learned the hard way that that the work of the Spirit in here is absolutely critical to the work of justice out there in the world. They've learned that, that such complex and, and dangerous and confronting mission has to be sus sustained by it, has to be motivated by something deeper and something more robust than just my own conviction, just my own competence and capacity. Otherwise, otherwise that kind of mission and ministry can just chew you up and spit you out. IJM's Vice President of Spiritual Formation, and yes, they actually have one, which I also think is very cool. So Jim, Jim Martin, their VP of Spiritual Formation, he says, or at least this, uh, this is my paraphrase of it, he says, you can't engage with the work of justice without encountering the God of justice. And you can't encounter the God of justice without being propelled into the work of justice. It's only when there's this, some kind of rhythm, um, some kind of balance between being sent out and renewed within and sent out and renewed within that this work of justice can be sustainable and that it might stay on course. Last week, Andrew spoke about the, the both and of being a disciple and a disciple maker. And the idea that we are both disciples and that we are disciple makers, I think, is, is the same kind of idea as, as what Jim Martin is getting at. And this reveals a principle to us that God always does something in us before he does something through us. It's God's abiding work within me 
His abiding work within me individually, specifically, that equips and positions and sustains and qualifies me to go. To go and to participate in his mission in the world. And his mission requires that I both abide and go. So if we're to understand the the nature of this individual and the universal work, then we need to have some understanding of what his mission, what the mission of God really is. And of course, this is a huge topic. The mission of God is everything that God is doing in cosmic history. It's everything that he does through his spirit, through his son and through his chosen people. Everything that he does to reconcile our entire reality with his envisioned future of life together. The mission of God is the context and it's the thrust of the entire Bible. So buckle up because this could be a really, really long message. Uh, Luckily, Paul does a really good job of summing this up and he does it a number of times. Here's a couple of examples. If you have a look, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. And I I love the way that this translation kicks this off. And this is the plan. Isn't that cool? This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 5.19. Paul writes, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Or this in Romans chapter 5, the second part of of verse 8, and and Paul writes, Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life to everyone. So it's this reconciling, restoring and renewing of everything together into right relationship with God. This is the mission of God. This is the meta-narrative of the entire story. The mission of God or Missio Dei, you might have heard as well. Old Testament scholar scholar, Christopher Wright uh, writes this about the mission of God or Missio Dei. He says the mission of God is the commitment of God to make himself known to his creation, ultimately for the purpose of redeeming and restoring all creation to its right relationship with God. Right relationship with God. Well, what's, what's that? How, how are we to understand right relationship with God? And, you know, I think we're tempted to, th- to think that right relationship just means to be without sin. That, that sinlessness is the prize of God's mission. Well, it's not. Dealing with sin is just the, ne- the necessary prerequisite for God's mission to be achieved. And Jesus has already dealt with it. So move on. Listen to how Jesus describes right relationship with God. Uh, This scene, I think, is perhaps my favourite scene in all of Scripture. Uh, It's after the Last Supper. uh, Jesus is in the garden before he is betrayed and he is crying out to his Father in heaven. So it's John 17, and I'm just going to pick a couple of verses here, verses 22 to 24. Listen to Jesus. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I'm in them 
and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. You can see I've underlined the word sent there. The, the Greek word, and, and I'm not going to get this right, you, you Greek scholars can correct me here, um, apostelos. And if it's translated, translated to Latin, we get the word mito. And from here we get the word mission um, and commission. So this is the goal of God's mission. Christ is sent on mission. And the mission is to proclaim that we might be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. This is right relationship. I'm in them and you are in me. The, the New Living Translation here isn't, isn't great because to say that, um, that you love them as much as you love me is not the same as saying you love them just as you love me or that you love them in the same way as you love me, which is probably a more faithful translation because it's not about the amount of love. It's not about how much love, but it's what kind of love. The father loves the son such that they are one. And so if we hear the heart of Jesus here, it is that we would recognise that we are loved in precisely the same way as the Father loves the Son. That we are in the Son in the same way that the Son is in the Father, that we would be as one. This has to be the greatest scandal in the cosmos. Christ in us, just as the Father is in the Son. You know, and there is nothing here in Jesus' words. There is nothing in the way that John has written it. There is nothing in the way that Paul understands this that would suggest that this indwelling is figurative. There is nothing to suggest that it's a metaphor or just some uh, expression of belief that I would believe that Jesus is in my heart. Jesus says very clearly, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Jesus wants you and me to occupy the same cosmic geography that he does. For us to exist in the Son in the same way that the Son exists in the Father. The reality of this should blow our minds. This is the great mystery. Paul in Colossians 1.27, he calls it the secret, the secret hidden for centuries and for generations. And it's this, he says, Christ lives in you. Not figuratively, literally. Now you think about it because you and I are in Christ and he is in us. That means therefore that we participate in the Trinity we join in the, in the triune divine life of God, as Peter puts it. Theologians call this mutual indwelling or co-inherence. Our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters, they, they call it theosis or deification or, or divinization. Jesus calls it abiding. 
just two chapters earlier. And, and all of this is in the same scene around the Last Supper before Jesus is betrayed. And Jesus is teaching his disciples in John 15. Um, and we'll pick it up at verse four and six. And Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So make, make no mistake about this. This, this idea of, of abiding in Christ, this is not Christianity 2.0. This is not some leveling up faith. This is not a, an optional add-on for fanatical Christians. Salvation and eternal life are only in Christ. It's only when we participate in the life of Christ that we participate in his eternality. I hope that that makes sense. John says it this way. First John chapter five, verse 11, he says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. You have eternal life. I have eternal life, not just because we believe in Jesus, but because we abide in him. He abides in us. This is life. And because our life is in Christ, then just as he is sent, just as he is commissioned, then so are we. If we abide in Christ, then like Christ, we are on mission. We are sent. We go. In John 15, verse 9 and, 9 and 10, uh, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then in verse 12, he says, and this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And there it is. You're sent. Love one another as I have loved you. As the Father loves and sends the Son, so the Son loves and sends us. He sends us because the Father wants the world to know that he loves each of us in the same way that he loves the Son. This is the mission. Go and make that known. Jesus says in John 13, verse 34, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's love that convinces the world. It's not argument. It's not programs. It's not productions. It's certainly not memes. And it's not just any kind of love. It's God 
love. It's unifying love. It's that costly, self-emptying, forgiving love. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Just as I have restored you into right relationship, you too should be restorers of relationship. Abide and go. This is how Paul puts it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. This is familiar to you and I'm going to look at it through these lenses of abide and go. Um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's the abiding presence of Christ within, in Christ, that makes us new, that reconciles us to God. And then from that place of right relationship, God commissions us with his message. God gives us the ministry or the task of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And his appeal is in the way that we live. The the love that that we have for each other that proves to the world that we are his disciples. We are both loved and we love. We are reconciled reconcilers. We both abide and we go. You know, I think that there is a temptation that we can fall into, and I've certainly done this, um, to lean either lean either high on, on go or high on abide. Um, for me, in more than 17 years in, the, in this mission development justice space, uh, I was around people who were often high on go and low and abide, and I was, I was one of those. And I've seen too many people come horribly unstuck because they did not live out of this renewing work of the spirit within. They just throw themselves into ministry, into good things and doing so in Jesus' name, but without sufficiently grounding ourselves in and drawing from the truth of Christ within. High on go and low on abide. And you know what? Ignoring this this abiding work, it can come at great cost, great cost to our health and to our well-being and and to our faith, to our relationships and to our witness. And then similarly, there are, there are those among us that prefer only to engage in this inner work. Their faith is private. It's all about my personal relationship uh, with Jesus and only doing lip service to the hard community work of loving others, consuming and not participating, managing our sin, but not loving in ways that genuinely reflect Christ. High on abide and low on go. But you know, the more that I've thought about this, the more, I, 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 the more I'm convinced that this isolated, self-oriented faith cannot be abiding at all. True abiding in Christ must naturally overflow 
in loving others must naturally manifest in going. Going is the fruit of abiding. If Christ is alive and at work within us, then Christ is alive and at work through us. Let me try to to wrap this up. Through Christ, God is reconciling everything to himself, bringing everything into, into right relationship. You and me and all of us within the Son and the Son within the Father, the all in all, as Luke puts it. Our reality is within the God who is love. We are objects of his love. We abide within love itself and we are agents of love. We go into the world to love as we have been loved. We both abide and go. The challenge to us, of course, is how are we to go? How are we to participate in the mission of God when we can't leave our homes? Well, I I get some confidence from Paul. If Paul can participate in the mission of God in a community of love from within the walls of a prison, then we can do that from within our lounge rooms, I'm sure. And I'll leave you to consider what that might mean for you this week. I want to step now into a a time of communion. Uh, Perhaps you're already prepared and ready to go with that. You might already have your cup of tea and a biscuit or you might have bread and wine or or something to to join in in this regard. Um, If you don't, feel free to press pause and go and get that arranged and then come back. Sharing communion is, it's an incredibly rich and and layered celebration. It's a beautiful ritual that that binds the community of Christ together. The imagery, it's so powerful. It's so clever. Part of what communion represents is an intentional remembering of abiding. And this is where the word comes from. It comes from unity, unity of the most intimate kind, if you get my drift. It reminds us that the flesh and blood of Christ are in some way commingled with our own flesh and blood. It's as we share in the person of Jesus that we are saved into his eternal life. Listen to to Jesus again. This is John chapter 6, verses 53 to 58. This is, this is really difficult teaching. This, this teaching was sufficient for many people to abandon their faith and walk, and walk away. Um, it's not often that we get this teaching at communion, even though this is precisely what it's about. Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living father who sent me in the same way anyone who feeds on me will live 
because of me. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, but will live forever. So as you now in, in your own homes, as you take this bread, as you take this wine, remember that they represent the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ and that you are taking Christ into your own body. You are one. You live because you live in the Son in the same way that the Son lives in the Father. So as you take that now, may you participate in communion, perhaps in a new way today. Let me pray for you. Father, we can't get our minds around the truth of this message that you abide within us. The fullness of God, Father, Son and Spirit residing within each of us. The same Spirit binding us all together in perfect unity. God, would you give us some revelation as to that truth, what it means to, to live in you, to find our life within you, in community, and then express that in authentic ways so that the world might know that we are your disciples. We pray this today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless you this week.